Welcome into Locked On Knicks. Alex Wolf and Gavin Shaw here, and we are breaking down the Knicks 101 to 99 overtime loss to the Lakers. And Gavin, it, heck of a low scoring game for one that needed an extra five minutes to go. And there was a lot of unfortunate storylines to talk about in this game because, it, you know, the Knicks really should have been in a position to win this one rather than losing it by two. Yeah, Alex, an absolutely brutal loss despite heroic performances from Derrick Rose, Julius Randle, unexpectedly Frank Nalikina. Uh, This one ultimately ended in defeat. The Knicks had their chances up by double digits in the fourth quarter, up in the final 15 seconds of regulation, up in the final minute 10 of overtime. Uh, The Knicks, despite those opportunities, could not close this one out. And now they're in a three-way tie for the four seed in the Eastern Conference. We'll break down the playoff implications, and recap the night that was a brutal loss for the Knicks. We're talking about it right now. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. All right, welcome into Locked On Knicks. Today's episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra at only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. Stay tuned for the Ultra Player of the Week coming up later in the episode. I'm Alex Wolf. I'm editor-in-chief of Nick's site, The Strickland, which you can find at thestrick.land. He is Gavin Shaw, play-by-play man, by-day podcaster, by-night. This is Locked On Nick's, and we are breaking down the, quite frankly, disappointing 101-99 national TV loss to the Lakers. It took overtime to get to that score, Gavin. Uh, I, I think that, by and large, this was back and forth for, for most of the game. Uh, the thing that I want to kind of harp on, I guess I can get to in a second, but to recap sort of the the action down the stretch. Well, actually, I'll throw it to you. Do you want to just kind of give the, the stretch run recap of what happened to lead the Knicks to two overtime and then at the very end of overtime, the, the heartbreaking fashion with which they lost before I, I go on my gripe session about a certain point guard. Yeah, sure. So this, I, I thought this was a really fun game. If I can, if I can remove my Knicks fan cap and just be objective about it, because you saw two teams that are just extremely gutsy for lack of a better term, the Lakers, obviously without LeBron, but also without Dennis Schroeder, um, smaller loss, but without Alex Caruso, um, Anthony Davis seemed a little bit hobbled down the stretch. The Knicks were lacking some firepower themselves, no Alec Burks, no Emmanuel quickly. And I was I was stunned when I initially looked at the box score and saw this. Alex, the only starter to score in double figures was Julius Randle. So a defensive affair throughout. And yet, because of the shot making of, of Randle, of Derrick Rose, of Frank Nilakina somehow early in the fourth quarter, the Knicks built a 10-point lead. The Lakers, though, a couple of timely threes, AD being AD, clawed their way back into it. The Knicks were able to take a two-point lead 
in the closing seconds. And then I think, was it THT who drove in and tied it right at the buzzer? They, they were just, it, it, it's that all kind West of blending. Matthews. Yeah. Oh, that was West that was Matthews. West Matthews. Yeah. yeah, it's all mm-hmm. kind of blending in between that and overtime. But obviously, that led the game going to OT. It was off a rebound, if I'm remembering correctly. And uh, yeah, Tibbs, bad box out by Derek Rose, honestly. On yeah, on Tibbs had a post game quote saying basically that we were we were one rebound away from winning it. Everyone has to get a body on someone, which ultimately proved true. And overtime, you know, it, it's interesting. I always tend to assume when a team is up by a lot and another team makes a ferocious comeback, I'm like, all right, the 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 team that was winning is absolutely screwed because all the momentum is on the other side. Apparently, there's no data to support that. The Lakers came out. They missed a couple of shots that could have allowed them to pull away. The Knicks, again, come storming back. Three ball, Derrick Rose, his first of the game. Julius Randle, a high arcer, right in AD's eye. They go up 99-98 with a minute 10 left. And then the Knicks ultimately do not score another point. They have a god-awful final possession that we can we can break down in more detail in just a second. Um, or you know what I'll do it now since it's part of the recap. So, all right, yeah, if you don't follow Nikias Duncan on Twitter, you guys should. He basically spent two minutes uh, breaking it down. But essentially, the Knicks did not execute well on honestly what was a decently drawn up play by Tibbs. They the goal was essentially to create conflict for I think it was KCP specifically, and they set a ball screen. While there, there, there was more off-ball stuff that got them to this point, but there was an on-ball screen while Reggie Bullock was cutting baseline. And essentially the, the game plan was had to have one defender have to take the roller, which if I'm remembering correctly was Taj Gibson, and guard Reggie Bullock. And what happened was there wasn't a hard enough roll. The ball handler didn't really, I think was Derek Rose at that point, wasn't really looking up. And Bullock didn't cut nearly hard enough to the corner. And if he had, I think he has a wide open three or he opens up a layup for the roller to the rim. Neither of those things happen. So instead, you get a little shuffle pass to R.J. Barrett. R.J. clanks um, a super long jumper because that was the only shot he could take. Because Taj Gibson inexplicably came up and set a screen when the last thing R.J. needed was another defender in the vicinity. R.J. missed it. The Knicks lost. Um, and the implication of all that is they are now in a three-way tie for the four-seed Alex with the Miami Heat and the Atlanta Hawks. They fail to clinch a playoff berth. And if the season ended today due to tiebreakers, the Knicks would actually fall all the way to six and not only lose home court advantage, but instead of getting a cushy matchup with the Hawks, would have to play the Milwaukee Bucks, which would probably not go well for them. Yeah, not not great. A pretty pretty big loss to take there. These next three games become extra important uh, against the Spurs and the Hornets and the Celtics to end the season. Granted, all three of those matchups not exactly world beaters, and the Knicks have been really great at home. So there there is definitely a chance that they could go home, feel revitalized, and make it happen down the stretch. Um, I wanted to real quick get into a rant about the starting point guard situation for the umpteenth time, but I felt like it was extra pronounced in this one. Uh, I almost wonder, though, if we should take a moment to award our Michelob Ultra Player of the Week to the guy that, unfortunately, uh, was not did not benefit from that situation, other than the fact that he had another fantastic game. But Derek Rose had 27 points on 10 to 22 shooting, six rebounds, six assists, three steals, one block, in this game, once again, 
was like the engine that made this team go uh, throughout the pretty much the whole game, as long as he was in the game. I want to get into his minutes distribution in a minute, Gavin, but do you want to real quick award him with his his trophy for this week? <laughs> Not that it means a ton, considering that the Knicks unfortunately lost this game. Yeah, I... I would I would push back, Alex. I think I think the Nicola Voltra, you know, sometimes the, the iconic awards throughout sports, the MVP in the NBA, um, I'm just, all NBA teams. I mean, they they matter over the years when we're looking at a player's resume for whether or not they're ultimately a Hall of Famer. And I think Derek Rose has a particularly fascinating case anyways with the MVP of 22 but then falling off in such a dramatic way and and outside of that one season, certainly not having a Hall of Fame-worthy career. I actually think this uh, second or third Michelob Ultra Player of the Week for him could ultimately push him over in that conversation. Might just be the resume point that he needs to win, uh, or rather to get into the Hall of Fame. Question. Do you think that his his Michelob Ultra Player of the Weeks will go up higher on his Hall of Fame plaque than the MVP or lower? I, I I'm not quite sure. It's pretty prestigious, though. Yeah, I would say it's sort of like Bill Simmons has this whole concept where different MVP seasons should have different like weights to the trophy, depending on how great they were. I actually think there there, we, there, were, there were some weeks where it was a little light. Where we were like, ah, let's get cute and give it to Derrick Rose. This week, though, he earned it. So I think this one goes above his MVP. And the point is, Alex, it's only worth it if you enjoy it. 2.6 carbs and 95 calories. Joy creates success. Enjoyment isn't the end game. It's the whole game, and for Derrick Rose, he's been having a whole lot of fun, and I I think for for D. Rose, you could tell the way his fun comes out is is just pure passion and effort, diving on the floor with Anthony Davis, who's maybe a foot taller than him, wrestling for loose balls, turning into the world's all-time greatest shooter from floater range. I put it out on Twitter, but we always talk about how insane and unprecedented what Steph Curry is doing in the NBA, hitting threes at all times from all angles, off the dribble, off the catch, just just a human flamethrower. I would not say Derrick Rose is quite on that level, but a notch below that in what he's doing in his floater game right now, Alex, is pretty unprecedented in modern basketball. I don't remember a player getting this hot for this long on push shots that are extending all the way out to the free throw line and beyond. It's pretty nuts, especially from a player who historically was not necessarily known for having great touch. And with D Rose, you got to ask, are you happy because you win or do you win because you're happy? I know he's not happy last night because the Knicks didn't win, but in general, the Knicks are winning a whole lot of games. And I think D Rose is in a really, really good place. All right, and we're back. And I, I teased it before we went to break, but I have a little bit of a rant to go on, Gavin. And it's the continued <laughs> reluctance to bench Alfred Payton or do literally anything different as it pertains to him. And it's just, it's reached a boiling point. Last night's game was officially the point where I, it, it really made me say, okay, now this is costing the next games. This is not just like, oh, well, you know, whatever, you know, you're playing Alfred Payton, but they're still winning, so I guess something's working. No, now literally in a game that the Knicks really needed, it would have clinched their playoff spot, you know, to keep them out of the play-in. It's still extremely unlikely that they end up in the play-in. They would have to, like, lose out, and I think the Celtics would have to win out, so it's probably not going to happen. But regardless, you know, you could have further solidified yourself as that four-seed 
going forward, put yourself a game up of Miami and the Hawks still with three games left to play. And they didn't because of playing Alfred Payton. And I know that there's so many things that happen in this game. You know, it's you can't fully distill any basketball game down to just one decision, obviously. But I think you can make a pretty educated guess that if Alfred Payton wasn't starting and Derrick Rose was instead, the Knicks might have had a much better shot at winning this game. Because for one, they wouldn't have come out flat like they always do against every team. And they wouldn't have, you know, I I can't even say that they really were that flat. Like they were only down by the time Elf subbed out, they were only down like three points, but that could have been up three points or more, you know, and, and who knows, you know, if Derek Rose was out there, how different the start of the game would have been. And maybe that affects the whole game from there on out. But the big thing that really is getting me is that this, this like insistence on starting Peyton in each half, and then bringing Rose in, and then once Rose obviously outplays him, Rose is then tasked with closing the half after coming in partway through the first quarter. It's just craziness to me. I understand that the Knicks have a little bit of depth issues these last few games with having Quickly and Burks out. So maybe that's part of it, you know, that Tibbs would, in another circumstance, you know, maybe sit Rose down for a couple of minutes, let uh, Burks and Quickly sort of combine to run the point guard for a few minutes to give Rose some extra rest. But there are solutions to do this with Peyton on the roster, too. Like, if you're going to insist on playing Peyton some minutes, have Rose start the game, have Peyton come in for six minutes in the middle of his stint in each half, and then have Rose close out the half. I just don't, I don't get why Tibbs is doing it in the way that he's doing it, where Rose is consistently, you know, like in this game, I don't know the exact minute markers, but Peyton played 14 minutes. And more or less, it broke down to he played seven minutes to start each half. And then, so if you do the math, that then means that Rose has to play 17 straight minutes to end each half. And that's insane. You can't, you know, if that was RJ Barrett that he was asking that of even, who's like probably him or Julius, I would say, are probably the two best in shape players on the whole team. Even if you asked one of those two guys to do that, I would say that's insanity. Why are you doing that? You're doing that to... 31-year-old Derrick Rose, who's, you know, notoriously, you know, been hurt for large parts of his career, has to do all these different exercises to injury manage himself and everything else. And you're having him play these stints where he goes 17 straight, like he plays a full quarter and a half of minutes at a time. And then last night, it wound up, I think, costing the Knicks because one, he looked pretty gassed down the stretch in the fourth quarter. And, you know, he was still making plays, but you could see every time that he had to exert himself, he was then, you know, hands on the knees, you know, at midcourt. There was one point where one of his Nick teammates, you know, I saw after a a stoppage in play where Rose had just made a play, he sort of like went hands on his knees at midcourt and one of his teammates even had to come up to him and be like, hey, are you okay? And then Rose shook it off and said, oh, yeah, I'm fine, you know, and just walked back towards the huddle. But you're, you're grinding this guy in the dust who's been so important for what the the Knicks are trying to do these last, you know, 10, 15, 20, whatever. I mean, really, honestly, pretty much since he got traded for. So I don't know how many games total that is at this point, but 25, 30 games, something like that. 33, yeah. 33, yeah. So, I mean, over this whole time that Rose has been with the team, he's been so crucial to what they're doing. Why would you want to potentially tire out one of your most crucial players down the stretch of a game? And, you know, in, in particular in this one, Rose wound up having to play, I think, something like 22 straight minutes 
to end the game between the fourth quarter and overtime. And it's just, it's obscene. I, I just, I don't understand this, this insistence on keeping the rotation the way it is and having, you know, Rose be the like closer, I guess, but also the middle relief guy, you know, it's like, it would be like if in baseball you had like a, a starting pitcher that you only played for three innings and then you just were like, Oh, some other pitcher can just finish this off for us. And, you know, it's just not, it doesn't work. It's not, it, Rose has been doing it admirably and he's, he's playing his butt off, but they really need to change uh, by day. I mean, Tibbs really needs to change the strategy here. Hopefully once they return home quickly and Burks can come back and maybe this is finally the thing that just pushes Alfred all the way to the bench, especially because we, I mean, we haven't even talked about it yet. We'll probably talk about it in the next segment, but there was great minutes from Frank Nilakina in this game that really offered you something, you know, quickly and Burks are going to give you great minutes that are going to offer you something. So why are you still playing the guy that offers you nothing 14 minutes per game at, at the start of each half? I just, I don't, I don't understand the rationale at all, Gavin. Uh, I'll throw it to you for a sec if you want to react to that. But this this game, we've talked about it before, but this one was the one that finally hammered it home for me where I was like, this decision cost the Knicks the game. Like, no, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Because I think if Rose had his legs more about him late in the game, he probably would have been able to make a shot or two rather than looking like he had no legs left by the time that he was on his, you know, 16th straight minute or whatever for that half. It's just... It makes no sense to me at all. Yeah, obviously, under normal circumstances, I would have preferred if they started someone else for this particular game, given that, at least in my mind, even though with how he played in in retrospect, it would have made a lot of sense. Given that, in my mind, it was impossible that he was going to start Frank Nilakina. I didn't mind him starting Elf because I, I think I know I know you you made this point, but it's so essential that you have Rose with the bench unit with no Burks and no quickly because and, and I know the argument you can take Rose out earlier, you can take RJ out earlier, you can put them back in with the bench guys. But we've seen with Rose where he's put together these incredible first half stretches. And maybe like I, I know Benji made this point when he was on, there's something to the idea that playing those minutes straight through really gets him into a good rhythm and getting to be the lead guy on an offense like when he was younger gets him into a really good rhythm and and that in the first half at least has been working out spectacularly well uh my my bigger problem is is less so with not starting rose because I, i just think given the current depth that's a necessity and then in the second half when you're seeing all right alfred payton just doesn't really have it tonight even even by his low standards let's go to let's go to frank who who was doing an incredible job savant level defense again something we'll get into next segment but could not have been much better on that end of the floor and made i I know in the first half it was just the first three but made a shot offensively and didn't look at the very least didn't look completely lost and wasn't passing up opportunities that he got and i know that's a relatively low bar but that's already so much more than Peyton gives you. So I would have started off the second half with Frank in there. And I think Tibbs, I, I, sometimes I, I genuinely think this is an invaluable quality that he really sticks to his rotations. And I think if you're a player on the team, I mean, obviously only if you're one that's that's in that rotation, but you really, really appreciate that because you you know you're getting a consistent role every night. 
And you getting at least those 14 minutes isn't contingent on you making shots. And it allows you, I think, mentally to play through mistakes. And and I would argue that's one of the reasons why Tibbs' teams overachieve. It's they have that trust that their role is going to be reliable and consistent. And, and there's some real merit or value to that. But with Peyton, when he's consistently providing no value, you just have to take that role away altogether and, and give it to someone else. And and I, I just think that's so much easier when you have quickly or Burks because Alex, the lineup they played at the start of the fourth quarter, we can we can go to it right now. It was Rose, Frank, Reggie, Obi, Taj. If you had started Rose at both halves, and, and obviously, I mean to your point, you could have done some rejiggering. Maybe you pull Randall a little earlier in the third and he becomes the fulcrum of that lineup in the fourth. But if there's a scenario where that lineup is out there with Alfred Payton and it's Elf, Frank, Reggie, Obi, Taj, you're just not going to score during that time because there's just no one to create anything. I thought it was ballsy even playing that lineup. And to your point, Rose was exhausted. But I, I think part of it was the injuries. I think part of it was just that this game was obviously so crucial to the Knicks. And if they had managed to win this one, they potentially could have rested Rose a little bit the final three games. So I think that this was sort of treated like a game seven to some extent. And because of it, D. Rose was pushed past his limits. But again, I, I take issue less with how Rose was played and a little bit more so that Elf started the second half. Yeah, and, and you know, I guess you could go, like you said, with Frank there too in the second half. And that would have that would have probably worked because then, you know, you still have you have Randall, RJ, and to some degree Frank to play make out there um until Rose gets in to sort of take over. That would have been fine. I don't care. I you know, I just and that would have been a fine way to to change that around to start the fourth quarter too. You could have had RJ, Frank, Bullock, you know, and Obi and um, Taj or whatever out there. And I think that's that lineup could have floated you for a couple minutes. Granted, you would have wanted hopefully RJ to be having a better night than he was, but you know, I, I think that would have been fine, and you know, could have allowed you to start the half with Rose um, I, in both halves, to be honest. Um, but hopefully once once you get quickly and, and Burks back, maybe finally this is the time where the, the it'll take hold and, and you know Elf will be removed from the rotation and he won't get, as you said, that that guaranteed assurance that he's gonna get 14 minutes a night because honestly you can see how much he realizes there's zero accountability for him and I think it leads to him mailing in like half of his appearances anymore, where he's just going through the motions and doesn't really seem to care about keeping the offense running or keeping the defense, you know, together or anything. It's he's kind of just out there collecting a paycheck more or less is what it seems like to me. Uh, but I'm going to take a, a quick break here to remind everybody that today's episode is brought to you by built bar, which if you haven't heard is the best tasting protein bar ever built bar has nine delicious flavors at all times, plus an occasional limited time flavor. And those Flavors that are around all the time are fantastic, highlighted by some of my favorites like mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, salted caramel, and of course, coconut almond, which tastes just like an almond joy. There's a little something for everyone. And if you haven't tried all the flavors, you can get a mixed box where you can get two of each of the nine flavors. I would highly recommend it because all the flavors are delicious, but then you can really pick and choose which ones are your favorites and order full boxes that way. Uh, and the best part is, is that Built Bars taste like a candy bar, but don't give you the guilt of eating a candy bar. That's because they're pretty healthy for you. 
most of the bars have 17 grams of protein, only 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and 4 grams of net carbs. You're not going to find that sort of ratio anywhere else, especially when you consider that they, as I said, taste just like a candy bar. So if you order today and get that raspberry or mint brownie or whatever it is that you like or think you like, or like I said, get that mix box, go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your first order. Again, use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. And today's episode is also brought to you by BetOnline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season's in full swing, and you can track all the action at BetOnline. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including the MLB, NBA, NHL, and all of your UFC and MMA action. For the next pitch, or tip-off, or puck drop, or opening bell, whatever it is, head over to BetOnline on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore, as this is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the playoffs. Head to the website BetOnline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit if you use promo code Locked On. Again, go to BetOnline.ag and use promo code Locked On, and you'll get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, Gavin, we are back. I think maybe it's time to talk positive. Uh, and I think Frank is the positive here. You know, maybe if we're talking about the uh, injuries to Quickly and Burks led to a unfortunate situation uh, as far as the Rose and Elf relationship there or, the, or you know, the dichotomy between those two. It, it created an opening for Frank in this game. And, I mean, we saw in the last game, Frank only played a grand total of like six minutes and RJ wound up playing like, like 45 Bullock wound up playing like 45 minutes, which by the way, shout out to him in this game, despite not having a good game, he played 46 minutes total between uh, the regulation and overtime, another marathon of a game for Bullock. But Frank got an opening in this game and seized it. And I thought that he really, he really played well to the point that he, for most of the fourth quarter, earned Tibbs's trust and stayed in over RJ, which was a little surprising because, you know, as you said, Tibbs generally, and, you know, I almost wonder if this rule only applies for Alfred Payton because Tibbs seems to have this like rigid rotation that he sticks to for certain guys. And it pretty much is only like Alfred Payton, Julius Randle, I guess, you know, sometimes Obi will get pulled even if he's having a really good half or whatever, which is understandable. But like RJ sometimes will sit down the stretch or someone's outperforming him. And in this case, it was, it was Frank and, you know, he played fantastic defense. He wasn't just playing good perimeter defense. He was out there like being a rim protector at times. He stuffed like stuffed the crap out of a, a baseline Kuzma dunk attempt at one point. I also, I forget who it was that was going in at one point, but someone was going in for like a layup and yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was, bo- was Taylor Horton Tucker. That was Horton Tucker, yeah. And it was like borderline a block or a steal. I think they they wound up crediting Frank with a steal instead of a block, but I almost thought that it looked more like a block to me. But either way, just really good defense around the rim. And, you know, he was he was shooting the ball well in this game, shot three of four from three-point range, which is exactly what you need out of him. 
stuff the stat sheet otherwise two rebounds two assists two steals one block and really just did all the great little things that you love to see when Frank is playing of moving the ball well of you know not letting it stick to him you know and and keeping the ball moving unless he had a good shot um he played really great defense you know you were mentioning earlier and I'll let you you know kind of highlight the best parts of it in a sec but like played fantastic defense on Taylor Horton Tucker who had himself a pretty decent game in this one um, and just was in in general a a switchy nightmare uh, and was helping on defense with some of those, some of those blocks and steals. It just, I I thought it was a fantastic effort from him. I really hope, I mean, in an ideal world after this game, Tibbs would finally see the light with quickly and Burks coming back and say, okay, elf is on the bench. Now that frees up that many minutes. And then we'll start Rose. We'll let Quickly and Burks man the ship when he's uh, not out there as the point guard. And then Frank Nilakina can soak up some of these minutes to maybe give Bullock a little more of a rest and RJ a little more of a rest so that they don't have to play 38, 39, 40, whatever minutes per game throughout the, these last three games and then into the playoffs. Because I think I think Frank really showed like his best self in this game of, of what he could potentially be. And it's just... It also is kind of sad because I almost I almost wonder if this was like his last hurrah before ultimately leaving the Knicks this summer to go find greener pastures somewhere where they're going to take you know him more seriously as a player because it was just another one of those great games that makes you scratch your head as to why he's not getting more minutes. Yeah, Alex, I think I think when his agent is in meetings with teams this summer, he's going to say, you know what, let's let, let's watch some Frank minutes together, and you, you guys you guys can see what my client brings to the table, and he, he's just going to queue up this game because the. Player Frank was in this game is worth ten to twelve million dollars a year. Obviously, the issue is offensively; he's not that guy every time he gets in. Defensively, maybe he's he's been a little foul prone this year, and I think that's been an underrated part about why he can't stick in the rotation. But he played like Draymond Green on defense in this game, and Draymond Green. I know people flipped out when Draymond called himself the best defender of all time. I, I personally, I don't think that's a crazy statement. I think he's in that conversation. And that's what Frank looked like tonight. I mean, his off-ball awareness was just absurd. And right, and we all we all love the on-ball stuff, right? When Taylor Horton Tucker's like, oh, like probably doesn't even know who Frank is and is like, I'm I'm just gonna I'm just gonna scrub this guy. And and he puts on like six, seven different moves and it ends with him trying to do a little step through. And to your point, Frank blocks or strips him and, and just just kind of casually, like, yeah, I I have like a nine foot wingspan, dude. You're not you're not getting that one past me. But comes in almost immediately drains a wing three. And when that first shot goes down, it it feels good because as we've talked about his whole career, Frank has always had a really clean looking jumper and good mechanics. It's almost entirely a confidence thing for him. So when he takes the first one with no hesitation, hits it, you know, it's going to be a good night. Then got a steal off a tip pass, cross court assist to Derek Rose, um, really nice rebound in traffic to cap the first quarter, make sure no one got the ball. Um, and then he only got credited with those two steals, but he forced something like four or five turnovers in this game because, um, Kyle Kuzma had a little backdoor or or with cutting backdoor, got the ball and Frank, it felt like he was, I mean, when, when you're getting taught how to play defense in basketball, you always hear man and ball, man and ball, man and ball, be aware of your man, be aware of where the basketball is. But Frank was man ball and the other three players on the court in, in this one. It felt like he had 
this like cognizance or this Tony Stark style surveillance system where he could see every little thing that was happening. Like he had the Spider-Man Edith glasses basically. And, and he saw Kuzman coming back door, just slid over, forced Kuzma to just throw the ball out of bounds, then hits another wing three. Then, and I, I thought this was, this was a good quality for all Knicks tonight really smartly timed doubles on Anthony Davis. It's very similar to what we saw the Clippers and Nuggets do to frustrate Julius Randle at different points where you don't double early in a possession where the big can just be like, all right, I'm taller than you. I'm just going to survey the defense, pick out who's open, and and, and then my teammates are going to pick you apart and get an easy bucket. They doubled AD as he was already going into a shot or pass, and it clearly really frustrated him. And so Frank just buzzes over at the last second, forces AD to throw it all the way back into the backcourt, out of bounds, Nick's ball. Then he tips a Kuzma pass, leading to an interception for another teammate. I think it was Reggie Bullock. Um, fast forward to the third quarter, uh, fights Kyle Kuzma for a rebound, earns the Knicks an extra possession. Um, then he has that block on Kuzma. That was just nuts. He's in the opposite corner. Again, out of the corner of his eye, Kuzma just had to hate Frank at this point. Sees him cutting, rushes over, blocks the shot. I jumped off my chair, Alex. I was so, so hyped at that play. Uh, THT is like, screw this, tries to take him one-on-one. We already knows. We already know how that ends. Uh, little, beautiful little passing sequence. Rose draws a defender on the right side. Kick to Frank. Frank, no look, zip pass under the basket to Taj Gibson. And not that it wasn't an amazing pass because Gibson was just like no one was near him. But it, I, it was just exciting to see Frank get a, get a little assist again, pass with a little bit of swagger. Because we know going back to his rookie year, Frank can throw some really beautiful passes. I, I still remember, Alex, like the first two weeks we were doing this podcast, I was raving about like a 60-foot bounce pass he threw on a dime to someone cutting up the court in transition. And we, we've just missed that part of his game this year because he's gotten so little reps on the ball. So nice to see that part of his game crop up. Rose, cross court, Frank, three ball, cashed it. Got another near steal on THT. Really big rebound with 346 left in the game after the Knicks forced, I believe it was a Kuzma miss that Kuzma fell down and just went in and out. 80 was right there. Frank got high in the air, snatched the board um, in his airspace. That was with 346 left. I think he checked out like 15, 20 seconds later. I understand why the Knicks didn't go with him down the stretch. And honestly, as, as well as he was shooting, I I would have been a little iffy about him taking big shots just because of, again, how much his confidence has fluctuated. But Alex, I would have been fascinated to, to see them continue to play him down the closing moments of this game or maybe even putting him in, in overtime. For a little bit, just to see what he could bring to the table defensively for either RJ or Bullock, because he he was just that good in this game. Yeah, honestly, I think the moment, and maybe this was a game swinger, I would have probably had him in over Rose on that closing defensive possession, and that that might have swayed the game. Not because Rose was bad or anything, but just because like Rose was so gassed at that point that that then led to him not boxing out Wes Matthews, who then is able to get up and make that game tying tip. And, you know, if Frank was out there with all that wingspan and a little more uh, pep in his legs, then maybe that would have gone differently. Um, So I I guess we'll see maybe going forward. I, I I would, I would be equally as uh, surprised if this leads to Frank never getting another minute again, once quickly and Burks come back. Or if he actually did carve out a spot in the rotation, it's just completely unpredictable as it always has been with his career. 
Uh, it's funny that you bring up, though, the, the times where we used to have to dissect these games just for like two or three little plays that that stood out to us. It shows how far we've come. And now we're talking about a team uh, fighting for a four seed. And that maybe makes me feel kind of crappy for about being about to like crap on, well, not crap on, but like dissect uh, the star players performance down the stretch of this game. But I was a little disappointed with how things went in with regards to Julius Randle down the stretch. Now he made some clutch shots to be sure which is great. Like he made um, one of those really great uh, opposite shoulder spinning fades uh, down the stretch uh, from the mid range on the baseline, which was a huge shot in regulation for the Knicks. Uh, Then he, he made a really big three down the stretch in overtime that had actually put the Knicks up and just ultimately didn't, um, you know, prove to be enough. It, It put them up by one point and then, uh, Taylor Horton Tucker came down, nailed the three on the other end, and that put the the Lakers up by two, which ultimately put the nail in the coffin for the Knicks. But the the big thing to me was I thought Randall, and I don't know if this was by design or if he just kind of hijacked or whatever, but he went a little too hero ball down the stretch of this game, and I think that kind of cost the Knicks as well. Granted, they just seem to not really have any solutions as far as you know finding good ways to. Um, you know, involve the whole team and, and, you know, get away from ISOing and all that. So it, which has been a common problem down the stretch for the Knicks this year, but there were some possessions where, I mean, there were, the Knicks had been up, you know, in certain moments or were trying to get up and Randall would just take these possessions where he would essentially just go one-on-one with Anthony Davis and say, all right, I can figure this out. I can go one-on-one with anybody. If they're not going to throw help, then I can just do this. Except Anthony Davis is like, if he's not the best equipped defender to deal with Randall in the entire league one-on-one, he's got to be close. I mean, I feel like it would be AD or maybe like Bam Adebayo. Yeah. Uh, You know, I I think it's one of those two. And those are the only two guys we've really seen able to bottle Randall up in a one-on-one matchup this year. And yet they just kept going back to it. And it was really frustrating because it cost the Knicks on some key possessions. I mean... They were at one point, so Randall had hit that that key three in overtime, and that put the Knicks up 99 to 98. And then Derrick Rose got a really, a really gutsy steal on the other end, which then gave the Knicks another chance to, you know, potentially put make it a, a four-point game at that point or a three-point game, you know, whatever. If you if you make a two, it's a three-point game. If you make a three, four-point game, which would more or less have sealed it at that point. And instead, you know, it just ends with Randall getting called for a traveling violation because he he kind of went down the floor and then got trapped by AD and another defender and lifted up his other foot. You know, he lifted up his pivot foot. And it was just like, dude, you got to you got to look to pass just a little sooner in those scenarios. And it it does kind of come in fits and spurts where Randall kind of reverts back to this hero ball stuff that that has sunk the Knicks this year. But. Hopefully he can curtail that a little bit going into the playoffs. I understand that there's also the issue of who else do, do the Knicks have that can create a shot like he can? And the answer is pretty much nobody. Uh, but when you're in a matchup against one of the best defenders in the league, and honestly, like, AD was the main defensive stalwart for the Lakers in this game. You know, if you're up against that guy, try to find someone else. Try to find anyone else, you know, and let them try to win this game. Try to get it to Rose. Try to get it 
I mean, to RJ in a better scenario than the one that he finally was in to end the game, which was essentially he just got handed the ball at the top of the key and, and you broke down the play already. But, you know, just the the actions that they ran to try to get RJ that shot then were just nonsensical in those last few seconds and he winds up having to take a heave. You know, there's just I feel like there was any one of a million other options that could have worked out down the stretch of this game. But unfortunately, I think that, you know, they sort of abandoned a lot of the things that make them good on offense, like like Reggie Bullock moving off ball, trying to generate shots, um, R.J. Barrett doing the same thing, or R.J. you know trying to get the ball off a off a quick you know screen handoff sort of action or something like that. There's just there were so many different things they could have done to generate a look, and instead they just basically chose to ISO Randall and that sort of stagnated everything, and that's I think what ultimately lost the Knicks the game from a micro sense down the stretch. Obviously, I think the big thing that that could have potentially swayed this game is if RJ and Bullock don't go, what was it, a combined one of 12 from three-point range in this game, the Knicks probably win this game too. You know, if if, if Reggie and RJ can make like two more three-pointers between the two of them, which they normally would, maybe this game goes a different direction too. But ultimately, the game was what it was, and... You know, when you're then down the stretch and making those sort of decisions, I think that was ultimately what what sunk them to end this game. Yeah, Alex, you you were just talking about the the good old days when we used to spend eight nine minutes on a single play for Frank. It, it's incredible. Now we're we're and I think I think you're making a good point, and I think it's important to discuss Randall going to those shots a little bit too often because. I, I know I've made it clear. I, I feel like there are times where he's just looking off open guys and feeling like he he has to be that dude. And it works out against teams like the Clippers, who just don't have a good matchup for him. And he's, he's hitting a three in Terrence Mann's face or stepping back over Paul George, who he has a couple of inches on, um, versus going at AD. But if if we can if we can shift our perspective a little bit, the fact that we're I, I would say rightfully to some point picking nits in a game where Julius Randle with everything on the line for the Knicks and honestly quite a bit on the line for the Lakers. Um, he outplayed Anthony Davis and it wasn't particularly close. Davis was eight for 23 in this game, finished with eight points, six boards, four assists. Randle, um, 11 of 26, four of eight from distance, 31 points, eight boards, five assists. Like Anthony Davis, there were people last summer, and I know I know he's not having a great season and he's, he's clearly not at quite 100%. There were people last summer saying, hey, this guy might might be the best player on earth in terms of Davis. And Randall's gotten to the point where in, in his team's most meaningful game in eight seasons could come into the other guy's home arena and say, I'm not only going to go toe-to-toe with you, I'm going to outplay you. And, and the, the three ball he hit, man, what a shot to make it 99-98. It, it was just, I, I talk about it a lot with Randall, like the difference between someone who's, who's sort of shooting a fake. 40% from three where, where it's like Rajon Rondo and he's just getting a lot of wide open attempts and, and they're not, they're not that difficult and, and teams are just kind of laying off him and, and kind of thinking like, you know what? I know he shoots a good percentage, but if he's taking that shot in, in crunch time with a good offense, it's not the worst result on our team. To your point, AD who might be the, have a case on a possession by possession basis for being the best defender on earth. And he's right in Randall's face and Randall's like, all right, I just, I got to put a little bit more trajectory on this one and and the ability to hit what I'm going to call different types of threes. And I don't even mean 
off the dribble versus off the catch. I mean, the ability to literally change your shot angle and your release time, it's something that is pretty exclusive to the best shooters on earth. Like you see Duncan Robinson will occasionally catch and, and not, um, and not do the little dip on his shot and will just flick it up. That was basically the shot for Randall. And he had to, he knew he had to put an extra high arc on it, still hit it despite all that. And to your point, it was a culmination of, of a really, really just amazing game for him. I mean, between hitting the threes, between getting to the basket and drawing fouls, I mean, throwing some brilliant passes, including like he was doubled at one point, he just zipped one to Noel under the basket that Noel inexplicably actually caught and I I think missed, but I was amazed that he caught it. Um, Splashed a couple of jumpers in Randall's face. The turnaround he had over KCP in the closing minutes of regulation was just nuts where he went um, opposite shoulder and was basically behind the backboard or parallel to the backboard when he shot it. Um, had another step back against AD with 210 left in regulation. Like we, we, we just got to, we got to appreciate it for what it is to some extent. And I'm going to say, I, I know your point on Derek Rose earlier was that we, we got to, we got to give this guy a little bit of rest because it's just too much, but man, what an effort. And, and again, what really felt to me like a game seven you you occasionally get my, my favorite part about game sevens in the NBA, and I think I, I probably mentioned this before on the pod, is when great players or who are quite a bit past their prime just summon something that you didn't know they had left, or, or they push their abilities to their fullest extent. Like one of one of my all time favorite examples is LeBron. Not that he's past his prime at this point, but in 2016. When he attempted to dunk on Draymond Green in the closing minutes of Game 7 of that Finals, it's like, all right, LeBron, if your life was on the line, what's the single craziest basketball thing you could do if you just had to score? And he's like, well, I wouldn't do this all the time because I'd probably break my legs, but I could probably just drive in and try and jump over everyone. And and you see that all the time from these legends that that know that they have just a little bit in reserve if they ever really, really need it. They can maybe go to that well three or four times in, in the final six years of their career. And I think this was that kind of game from Derrick Rose. 27 points, six boards, six assists, three steals, 10 of 22. And it's amazing how he comes out in these first quarters off the bench where he should he should be a little bit cold uh, just coming into a game. And he that, that first shot that he takes, it was like the streak Randall was on a, a few weeks ago. It goes in every single time now, the little push shot. And then the pick and roll chemistry with Taj Gibson and, and, and his ball movement, his ability to get these guys going like Gibson and Frank, who have no business really based on their resumes, being competent offensive players in, in what are essentially playoff games. And he's getting them shots in spots where they're comfortable and, and generating them off a standstill and, and all that while still having that athleticism when he needs it, like that play in the first, or it was either late first, early second quarter. I think it was early second where he went right into Gasol's body and and basically just put a shoulder into him and double pumped it in. And it it just, it looked like if you blinked, you'd be seeing Rose in a Bulls jersey again. It, it, It was that kind of shot, had a steal coast to coast layup through like three defenders. Um, it was I can I can keep going through all these plays, but it was it, it was just classic D Rose combining the best of his new game and and still having those moments of his old game. And and we already mentioned it, but the little the little like fight for the loose ball with AD, man, what what a moment. It just it, it just looked like David versus Goliath. And I know that wasn't the nature of this matchup given all the guys the Lakers had missing and the Knicks 
maybe even had a slight talent advantage, which is insane when Anthony Davis is on another team. But it felt like that. And it felt like Rose giving every iota of effort and energy in his body to to give the Knicks a chance to win this game. And to your point, he, he was leaned over. He was completely spent when it was all over. And I'm, I'm bummed for him. I'm bummed for Frank. I'm bummed for Randall that they didn't get enough from the rest of the team in this game because this this really would have been, Alex, one of the great Knicks wins of my lifetime. And I, I can only presume yours as well if they had pulled it out. And, and those three guys, I mean, they, they deserved it. They, they deserved a win in this one. Yeah. And ultimately, you know, even even a hobbled Lakers team. I mean, we've seen the Knicks hang with other hobbled title contenders this year and beat some of them, not beat others, you know, and they they make a pretty, pretty regular occurrence of that, as well as beating some good full strength teams, too. So it's, you know, times they are changing. Very happy, regardless, you know, with the results of the season. But Still, I'm going to be greedy. I'm going to hope that they win the last three games and can hopefully get back in that 4-5 conversation instead of the 6-3 matchup with the Bucs. Um, but at any rate, oh, I wanted to throw out one more. When you were talking about those like Herculean efforts that guys are like finishing their careers come up with, unfortunately, this guy was only like 26 or so when it happened. But the one that always sticks out for Roy. me, with, I was going to say Brandon Roy. Yeah, that's the one that always stands out to me, that first round matchup with, uh, the Mavericks when he dropped 24 points and like he was like totally washed at that point. It was like it was already Aldridge's team at that point, and you know uh, people were ready to just say, yeah, you know, Brandon Roy is done with, and uh, came out and scored 24 points. I think that was the year that the Mavericks eventually won the title. Yeah, that was 2011. So that was that was the year the Mavs eventually won the title too, and that helped uh, Portland take them to to six games. And uh, just a, a crazy performance by him. So I always remember that one um, as one of those like late career. Unfortunately, it was late career for him, despite being still early in what would be a, a normal player's career without all the knee issues. But well, one more really me. good one I just remembered was Manu dunking on Chris Bosh in the finals. Just just something that he shouldn't have been able to do at that age. But just yeah, kind of kind of pulling it out and and dunking in all those like when he would just pull thirty points out of his ass at like. 40 years old it, 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 it just it's something amazing where it tells you like these guys haven't totally lost it they just can't get to it every night yeah exactly because you know their bodies are are in a different place and all that and I, I guess that does make it that much crazier that LeBron can still do what he does pretty much on a nightly basis um but at any rate we're running like stupid long at this point um so we're gonna wrap up this episode of Locked on Knicks we'll of course be back we actually have a really good one for you guys tomorrow, uh, the second part of our conversation with PD Webb, where we're going to get into some of the draft prospects that the Knicks could be looking at uh, in the their newfound range of the 20s with theirs and the Mavericks pick, plus maybe even some guys to consider with that Pistons pick early in the second round. So we get into some guys that should be more in their range there. Uh, but you've gotten everything you need to know about the Knicks now. Get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with the Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get podcasts. And this has been this edition of Locked On Knicks. We'll be back with another game recap when the Knicks return home on Thursday. Can't wait until they're back in the garden. And then big weekend coming up too. Back-to-back games Saturday and Sunday to close out the regular season. So we'll see how that all goes as well. 
Until next time, this has been Locked On Knicks for Gavin Shaw and Alex Wolf. Peace out. Talk to you all soon.